Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. You're listening to Concord Matters. It's Tuesday afternoon and time to get your confessions on. Learning what you believe and why you believe it from the golden mouths of those fathers who went before us and rightly repeated what our Lord Jesus has left for us to believe, teach, and confess until he returns the faith in which we hope to stand on that last day, glad to die in it now and trusting in it to justify us unto life everlasting. To talk about the truth of justification by grace through faith out of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 4 and 5 and and so on, and uh, well, we talked about that in the past. My guests today, two of our regular crew of three, the unanswerable Sean Smith, who isn't so sure he's going to be unanswerable today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, the subtle Peter Slade, social media manager of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, uh, ready to carry the torch for the crowd as we yes. as we miss our dear friend and compatriot, the angelic Peter Ill, who is off doing the good work of being a pastor today. Yeah. Making sure things get done. Yeah, that's that's very important to care for the sheep. Yeah, amen to that. Amen to that. So we're picking up, yeah, still in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. What? Wait, huh? we're still in that? Yeah, what? it's going to be a while. <laughs> and and so three years later, as we said last week, and I guess we'll probably just say it every week until we're done. Though it, it, you never leave it, you never leave justification, you never leave the article of faith. That all of salvation is by faith. Even your sanctification is ultimately by faith. The, the resurrection is going to be by faith. And maybe maybe this is a good place to kind of throw that out at you and, and let you respond to it. Like the thing that Adam lost was not life, not first, right? It was it was death as the wages of what he lost. What he lost was was faith. Thoughts about that, Pastor yeah. Smith? Well, and he lost that right relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. And we inherited that from Adam, and uh, that's what Christ restores. And I was even thinking about uh, Pastor Ilb off attending to the to the sheep, as we said. And you know, that's that's what Pastor Ill is doing right now. That's what we pastors do. Uh, he's caring for uh, someone who's on hospice care, and you you are doing the article of justification right. in that moment. You right. are assuring mm-hmm. this person that they have hope, no matter what it looks like right now. For their their body is failing them, that they have hope that they will stand before the Lord mm. and be received into the heavenly glories, awaiting the last day. And there too, we all by faith will have that 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 confidence that Christ has done everything, satisfied everything, brought us into that right relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. And then indeed, there are going to be good works that flow forth from that in this earthly life as we live the sanctified life. But that that seems to be the tension here is that uh, um, the, the Catholics, and it's still the same fight we fight today. We've said it many times that uh, really they're, they're, ma- they're mingling sanctification and justification mm-hmm. and blurring the lines and really creating a lot of uh, bad doctrine as a result and, and a lot of confusion. Mm-hmm. But when we, when we understand rightly... Um, 
that this article of justification is the chief thing and we can never leave it. We're always returning to it. We'll return to it even in the hour of death for our greatest comfort. And using your own language there of hope, the problem is not good works. The problem is putting your hope in the right. good works rather than in Christ. And as you so rightly said, it's really all about a relationship for Jesus, with Jesus, right, Mr. Slade? Well, yeah, we were talking, I was having a conversation down, uh, talking theology, which often happens sometimes in this what, building. But what, what, a, what a travesty, <laughs> what? A church body's headquarters, they talk about the Bible? We thought like it was all politics this around this building. The, <laughs> <laughs> but the, 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 the emphasis in the conversation was how, you know, Martin Luther, when he, when we talk about the small catechism, um, how do, how do each, each article starts, sorry, I'm blanking on it already. Trust. The word is trust that yeah. I'm looking for. Yeah. This is written so that you will trust. It's, it's all about, you said hope. Trust is the, is another good Lutheran word. It's not about knowledge. It's not about having the answers. It's not about all those other things that we, good works, which right. we've been talking about a lot. Um, it's about trust. Yeah, that's the key. That's the way I think the that, that's how you say faith in in American, right? Hmm. Um, granted, we do use the word faith quite a bit today, but usually by faith we mean like hopefulness. Actually, <laughs> you know, just have faith, everything will work out. They mean hope or or a positive opinion. But when we want to talk about, you know, I want you to have faith in me, I would never say that. Have faith in me. I'd say trust me, right? Mm-hmm. Which is is the same the same reality as the biblical reality of fidelity, as it were. All right, so picking up then at. Paragraph 45 on page 134. In the fourth place, Pastor Smith, do you care to review the first three places for us? I'm <laughs> well, just ha- I'm no. half kidding. You don't have to. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I was already starting to laugh because this 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 first line, this question is just hilarious. You know, what need is there for a long discussion? Well, you're going to go on for right, several pages more. So right. what in need the, is there? In the fourth place, what need is there for a long discussion? Yeah. Right? What? <laughs> huh? But but it's needed, as we said, because it's valuable, it's important. It's the center of Christianity is his next line. All scripture, all the church cries out that the law cannot be satisfied. And I, I should go on, but I want to stop there because this reminds me, I think it's got to be my favorite line from Dr. Luther. I got a lot of favorite lines from Dr. Luther, but this one uh, strikes me and continues to be, to me, the gospel distinguishing the law in its purity, that the law says do this and it's never done. The gospel says believe this and behold, it is all done already. And that reality there, the law is just never satisfied. It's always saying do, do, do. But it's, it's never satisfied. And Jesus literally is the vicarious satisfaction of the law I could not keep. Yeah, and, and we've said previously, too, one of the previous points is is not that we Lutherans say that there is no law and that we're not exhorting or anything of that nature. The law has its place. It's in Scripture. Uh, but where do you find its fulfillment? Um, and, and, and this part of the article, whether you call it Article 5 or part of Article 4, and there's been some debate of that, and we've talked about that, uh, but it's called Love and Fulfilling the Law. Mm. And uh, where do you find love perfectly fulfilled? Because if it's in me, I I have to be honest, I'm not perfectly loving all the time. I desire to be. I want to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in that. I want to be considered a very loving person, but I fail at it. And yeah, that's... you know, it just reminds me the other the other evening there was something happened in my family and <clears throat> I won't tell you who it was, but I, I was involved with this situation and it was a moment where someone else was angry and I wasn't. And I was so patient and I just sat there and I, I took it 
and I turned and I was loving and charitable and I did all the right stuff. And then I thought, man, I'm a good guy. <laughs> Boom. Yeah, exactly. Gone right? right there. It's all just destroyed <laughs> yep. by my by my pride. You know, right there on the spot. <gasps> I did it. Oh. And this is that's the Saint Center complex at work too, because I would say that even that moment, the 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 reason I wanted to love wasn't a bad reason either. The reason I wasn't getting angry was because I cared about that human being who needed patience at that moment and, and affirmation at that moment. And and so, it, you know, both those things are in me at the exact same time. And this is not to deny the good works or the goodness of them. It's just to recognize they're not a place to hope again. Yeah. Yeah. I talk about that as seeing your fruit and then eating it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then it's gone. It's like, oh, wait, that's not what that was for. I'd rather not see my fruit at all. Just yeah. and I'll talk about that. Love it, let it happen. That, that's great. That language of fruit uh, inspection—that that's a, a little more out of the background you came out of before you came into Missouri. Well, City, we, yeah? we talk about works being a fruit of faith, a yeah. fruit of the gospel, and so that's that's that is a, a a right way to talk about that. But you know, from my own background, American evangelicalism, fruit is this thing that you look at to judge whether you are or are not a Christian. Um, or how good of a Christian you are, how sincere you are. Any, it, you're, it, it's often referred to as fruit checking, where you look to your works. And we've seen that, you know, in in the uh, the apology here, where they've talked about fruit, almost in that sense. They're very much more focused on it actually saves you. What we see very often today in American evangelicalism, well, okay, we're not going to straight up say that it saves you. But at the very least, we're going to use it to measure how good a Christian you are. And so that's that's your fruit checking. And so I, I, I'm sure that I heard it from someone somewhere or read it somewhere because I don't think I came up with it. But I started saying, you know, I don't want to I don't want to see my fruit because when I see my fruit, I tend to eat it. Uh, when the, can I uh, <laughs> I'm, this is maybe just going too far for our day and age. But when the, when the fruit checkers uh, find fruit they don't like, do they come up with alternative fruits? You, yeah. you get it? You yeah. get it? <laughs> but, they, but it's actually right, though, yeah. too. Yeah. Because you do. You have to start manufacturing some other thing. I don't thing. have enough of this kind of fruit. Well, I'm going to call this a fruit over here, then. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah, and, and it's definitely the ordained fruits that they want. I mean, that was clearly the situation for the Catholics at this time. Right. Is uh, we're going to tell you what sort of fruits we want. You know, go into the monasteries or buy your indulgences. Yeah, take a trip. So that, yeah, so that we can uh, build up Rome and the Sistine Chapel and all those sorts of things. And and and, and there's also this kind of, especially at the time that they're writing this, that Melanchthon is writing this and the Lutherans are, are uh, wrestling with these things, you know, it, it's not so much that they're 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 wanting the growth and holiness which is the way american evangelicalism will mm -hmm. talk about it you mentioned yeah, that yeah you're looking and, for that progression yeah, nowadays yeah and and it's a part in that time but it's it's really just a lack of trust as you pointed out earlier in christ being fully sufficient in this um because what they're directing them to is is well, yes, I recognize that I am still sinful. I don't love perfectly, but that's all right because um, I can trust the fact that I've paid this much money to cover the situation. And we 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 struggle with that tendency, um, whether in our Christian lives or not. I mean, I am always somewhat skeptical when people give me gifts and and things like that because they might hold something over me, mm. or I you know 
I, I just kind of struggle with that internally. That's why I've but never it, given you anything at all. Right. Well, or, you know, just, <laughs> just when I use something, right. You know, if someone gives me a, a really nice gift, I'm very careful on how I use it because I don't want it to look like I'm ungrateful for that and, mm. and things of that nature. But when, when, and, and sometimes it leads me to not use it at all. But when I buy something, well, that's something I worked for. That's something I earned. And so I can trust that I can use it however I want and I'm mm. not going to hurt anyone else's feelings. And, and that's, you know, that's a real deep issue here for them is that they're trusting their own ability to cover themselves. That gets right at the heart of where I have seen in my own experience with Missouri Synod laity, the place where grace gets them the most is not in the, the moment of being saved. It's in the perseverance of the saints kind of talk. It's the, how do I know I won't fall away? And the answer, well, you don't. But Jesus won't let you fall away. That one hits them hard. They don't because I I don't have any control on that. I want to have my finger on the scale somehow, right? And and grace, start to finish, just doesn't give you that uh, that control ultimately. And yet, it's the greatest confidence. What you can just be like, no, no, no. But but really, he's not going to let you. So look at him, not you. Stop checking your food. Yeah, it, well, there's no better comfort for your conscience that the, ever. As Luther and many Lutherans have said since, return to your baptism in that moment. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah, explain that. Well, I mean, I, I, that baptism is that moment that we're brought into our justification, mm-hmm. that where God says, I have made you in a right relationship with God, your heavenly father. St. Paul points this out. You know, I have died with Christ. I will rise with him. Uh, and this is that, and, and that baptism is this thing that brings me into the death and resurrection of Christ. And so when I return to my baptism, there's my assurance. It's done. It's completed just as all of the miracles of Jesus were performed to, to verify the fact that he has the authority to do what he says. That's the great comfort of the miracle of baptism is that he has died. He has risen again. He has satisfied all. I return to that. It it gives me the greatest assurance that he has the power to back it up. He's done it ever since. You mentioned, you and, mentioned that. that uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was saying not only that, you didn't do anything. It was all done to you by God. You contributed nothing to your baptism. And that adds to that comfort as well. Getting right at the same issue we're talking about here. You mentioned earlier that... The pastoral office, the work in the church is the justifying act and, and baptism. You got to hear it. It's, it's I baptize you. It's I justify you. That's the promise, right? How can water do that? Well, because God says so. That's how, right? What, what I was going to throw to you, Peter, is, you know, again, kind of pulling this out of your, your your background. I think that's very helpful to bring that to the table here. We got, we got, we're dealing with the Roman Catholics, but we're also dealing with American Christianity. Yeah, how do we see these things manifesting today is well, a big question. And and I, my, my guess is coming into, well, I don't know, because you were sort of Lutheran and like evangelical at the same time. Was baptism a struggle for you? coming toward confessional Lutheranism? Was baptism and grace and baptism yeah, I mean, something that presented a, a hurdle? I wasn't evangelical until I got married, basically. Okay, okay, okay. So grew up in it fully. Parents parents still are missionaries That's right. on the field and yeah. everything. So, um, yeah, baptism was one of the final hurdles. And for me, the, the hurdle, I think, for a lot of evangelicals is, is the role of the will. Because baptism is seen as something you do. Um, it's not viewed as something God does to you. And not only that, it's very difficult to grapple with this idea that my will does not play a role in my conversion. Mm. Uh, When it comes to spiritual things, I am not the actor saving myself, which that's what we're seeing here in the apology. We're seeing it in terms of, you know, physical works that they're talking about. But 
You know, we even have that same thing going on today where I have to make the decision. I have to choose to believe, you know, this, this, this often referred to as decision theology kind of language. That ends up being the struggle in baptism because if you're going to tell me that baptism saves, baptism does something, first of all, I see baptism as a work that I do. Second of all, salvation is also something that I have to play a role in. And now you're telling me that neither of those things are true. Okay, I've got several major hurdles I've got to work through. I can see how you would say that baptism is a work the pastor's doing. How do you say that baptism is a work that you do? And again, we're talking in the evangelical kind of way of thinking, but can you pull that the, out? The common phrase uh, that you'll hear and that I had used was, uh, it's an outward sign of an inward commitment. Huh. Um, you'll what, what will happen is people will go to the book of Acts and talk and use the descriptions of people being baptized as prescriptive as mm. this is how it must be done. And so they'll look for, uh, well, this person repented and then they were baptized. Therefore you have to repent first and then get baptized as opposed to going to scripture and seeing, okay, where are the scripture passages that talk about what baptism actually is and does, you know, where Paul is teaching, here's baptism, here's what it does going to those. And then back to the examples of baptism happening and saying, Oh, that's what's going on there. They go backwards. You go the other mm-hmm. way. And so it then looks like baptism It is is something that you do as that additional act of commitment, that final act of commitment, that one step along the way. It all depends on your your denominational tradition as to where baptism actually ends up fitting in there. A symbol that doesn't mean anything, but you better do it right. you got to be immersed. Uh, depending <laughs> on where you, yeah, again, depending on your tradition, yeah. there are specific requirements for this thing that doesn't do anything to you. Yeah, I think um, Jesus actually nails the the nature of the will when it comes to baptism pretty well when he speaks to Nicodemus and, mm-hmm. and he says, well, how can I be born again? You know, can I enter again into my mother's womb? And, and, and when Jesus is speaking about the nature of being born again, right, mm. I, I didn't play a role in my first birth. I didn't climb into the mind of my father and say, hey, you know, go do the marriage thing with mom so that I can be born. You know, I, I really want this. Uh, no, I had no role in it. Um, it was a, and it was an act of a will, my father and mother's will hmm. that to, to uh, create me. And of course, our heavenly father is behind all of those things as well. And, uh, and, and the real driving force for this is as it plays in with our love and fulfilling the law. Again, we don't negate the law. The, we surely should live holy lives according to God's word and the regenerate life we call it, the sanctified life, um, that as we have been born again. And, and uh, Dr. Pieper, uh, his dogmatics uh, books, um, kind of talks about this really well, that even our regenerate will participates with the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. though weakly, he says. Mm-hmm. And I think that is just... Well, and our yeah. confessions go there, yeah. but not as two, uh, two oxen pulling a plow together, right? Right. Uh, but the way that, in a sense, the way that a plow is pulled by an ox participates. Right? Uh, but the, so it's, and then the key there is that it's not happening without your will. It's not like you're you're non-existent or have no will, but it's the will is the problem. It's the will that must die and rise. It's the new will that is that is coming forth and being dragged out of the grave by by the spirit. Um, you know, kind of using fruit checking to try to get back into into where we came. I was I think it's been a great discussion. Hey, we're but, still talking about love and fulfilling yeah, the law, though, so it yeah, all fits. No, it's all it's all on there. <laughs> you know, I, one of the other thoughts I had as, as you're all talking about this is the problem isn't fruit checking. The problem is whose fruit are you checking? And if you're checking your fruit for hope, you're not going to find hope. You're going to find despair. If you're checking Christ's fruit for hope, you're going to find the fruit of everlasting life, living water flowing out of him, right? The, the, the supper given literally his body and blood for the sake of, of all of your everlasting life. 
with which has as its own promise that you will bear good fruit in him. I am the vine, you are the branches apart from me, you can do nothing. So it's yeah. not about the denial of fruit, just recognizing where where the source of all of this really comes well, from. And, and picking up on that, the image I often use for this is, you know, uh, Peter, if, if you go up to an apple tree, what sort of fruit do you expect to find on that tree? Oranges, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Don't an you? apple, obviously, Oh, an apple, right? yes. Yeah, and if you that, go to an did, orange tree, I thought the no, answer he was, was going to give you... You had to know he was going to do that. I, I thought the okay. answer was Jesus, but it was. I knew it wasn't actually <laughs> Jesus, but apple was right. too obvious. Yeah, no, thanks, <laughs> thanks for ruining my metaphor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But, but no, exactly. I mean, when when you are in that tree, right, when, when you're in the tree of faith, when you're in Christ... Mm you know, that fruit's going to be there. I right. mean, it can't do anything else. The sheep's not a goat. And, and so I guess, you know, the way I, I commonly phrase it as a Lutheran is I'm not really worried about looking for my growth and holiness. Um, if, if I find myself focusing there, I, I it, it's just going to be failing. It's going to be overwhelming, all sorts of things. But when I recognize and, con- uh, and constantly return to my baptism, constantly return to where Christ is is done all of the work. It's all the common denominators of forgiveness of sins, what he has done to make me right with God. The fruit's going to be there. I can't, I can't produce anything else. Which is not to say that we don't need to hear the law. Right. Right. Which is what antinomianism would teach. Therefore, you don't need the law. No, no, you still need the law. It's going to do its work. It's just, again, it's not my, it's not my yeah. hope. An- another metaphor to, to give that then is I often, you talked about the two oxen. I, I talk about a rider and a horse, huh. right? The horse has his own will, but the rider's driving it, you know? Huh. And, and so when, when I preach the law for those who are in Christ, you know, they hear that as the rider, you know, pulling the reins or, you know, giving commands to, to, to go this way. And, and I rejoice in that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, of course that's the way to go because what other way is there to go? This is great. This is wonderful. Right. I yeah. like this. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I was going to, I was going to ask if I can actually read the next couple lines here, because as we're talking about fruit checking, I mean, that's exactly what Melanchthon gets into. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's equally applicable, whether it's on the side of justification, which is what the apology tends to deal with more right now, but also on the side of sanctification, doesn't matter, you know, pre-salvation, post-salvation, the fruit checking is just as bad either side. And the, the next few sentences here actually get into that. So they kind of tell you why I still don't want to go too past too far past the next line, but I'll bring us back if yeah, we do. Because yeah. the next line's got its own kind of junking, or just the next <laughs> sentence, huge piece in it. But I hear yep. what, you're, what you're saying too. So yeah, take it away. So yeah, we'll come, so we'll come back. All scripture, all the church cries out that the law cannot be satisfied. Therefore, starting to fulfill the law does not please on its own account, but on account of faith in Christ. Otherwise, the law always accuses us. And here's where the fruit checking part comes in here. For who loves or fears God enough? Who has enough patience to bear the troubles brought by God? Who does not frequently doubt whether human affairs are ruled by God's command, Mm. by God's counsel, or by chance? Who does not frequently doubt whether he is heard by God? Who is not frequently enraged because the wicked enjoy a better life than the righteous because the righteous are oppressed by the wicked? Who fulfills his own calling? Who loves his neighbor as himself? Who is not tempted by lust? Mm. You want a fruit checking list? There you go, right there. Check your fruit. How you doing? Yeah. I suck. That's not, I'm not or, doing well. Or in the words, the the more holy words of the church, I, a poor, miserable sinner, right. yes. confess unto you yes. all my sins and iniquities. Yep. 
That's a little better than that. Us. Yeah, sorry. I did that again. I am so sorry. Different word. Yeah. You're showing us a panoply, a cornucopia of colorful metaphors. Yeah. No, but it's. But I mean, what you're doing also uh, is using American again to, to speak to describe the the despair, the the degradation, the darkness, the depravity of our reality. Um, it's more. Do we to say it, we're in a bad state? It, it doesn't quite convey it and so you know you don't necessarily people gotta gotta be careful how we talk especially with uh, with people who don't know us but at the same time we want to emphasize the reality of this the depths of despair that, that this is talking about here well, and, and because and i i use a daily devotional uh, of luther's writing segments of his writings and today was really quite fitting along with this the segment you just read uh luther says I'm paraphrasing. He says, you know, it, it serves us well to recognize how sinful we are, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to run down that list and mm-hmm. ask ourselves these questions. This is why he asked those questions in, in the small catechism. I was going to say, this is almost yeah. an echo of that. Yeah. And, and why he begins with the Ten Commandments, because it drives us to the reconciler. Because it says, it essentially says, where's my hope? I, I, I got to find some hope. I got to find some comfort. And I'm going to run to that reconciler who has loved perfectly, who has satisfied all. And that's Christ Jesus, our Lord. I, uh, I, I, it, the catechism connection is picked up there. The Psalter as well, the oh, Psalms. Yes. I mean, this is, this is a, right out of the Psalms. And the language from David and the other, the other prophets of the Psalms about letting the wicked do what they're doing like lord why won't you stop it why you know why is my life you know uh, n- not as good as it should be and this other person who's, who's obviously evil we're not talking about like false judgment here we're talking about someone who's just evidently uh malicious or or, or wicked in some way which you can see it in pop culture what, what do we celebrate in pop culture and to to see that to cry out to god and but but what the shows here is even that emotion is my unbelief Right, at work, say, well, God must not really be in control. There's part of me that's like, well, I'm seeing these things. They don't align with what I know is right according to the scriptures law. Therefore, God, what's your problem? Right, And that, that's the way. Therefore, Jesus, why aren't you doing what you're supposed to do? Because I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And then again, the self-justification just manifests itself right out but of the heart. Even the idea that my life should be better. Yeah, right. Okay, right there, I've already got an idol I have to deal with because I'm telling God, hey, God, my, my life should be better. What's, it, what's, what, what do you, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you making it better? <laughs> and not realizing it should be worse. Right. I should be burning already. Yeah. I don't actually deserve anything better than I have. I deserve way worse. And I should be content with whatever I get, even if it's way worse. I actually can't do that. Hmm. Like yeah. I, Even as I say that, I know that's the right answer. <laughs> I can't actually do that. I can't actually live in that. Who has enough patience to bear the troubles brought by God? I mean, just right. Boom. Yeah, uh, I don't. Uh, let, we can come back to these questions. They are fantastic questions. This line at the start here, therefore, starting to fulfill the law does not please on its own account. I, I think that's also important here, too. So God didn't make the law so we could do it so he could be happy with us. God made us happy with us, with the law to make us loving, right? To, 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 to be the way in which we are. And so to think that after becoming evil, we can come back and just keep a little tiny bit of it and that this is going to please God is entirely backwards. Rather, on account of faith in Christ, we are pleasing to God, period. So now 
when we do keep the law, it's as we were made to be, and it's a good thing. And it's laudable in that regard, but not on account of the works themselves. Yeah, it reminds me of the way Luther handles uh, the the Lord's Prayer in the small catechism. You know, uh, how be thy name. You know, that's that's a prayer that we, we make in faith. But he explains that it's not like... Um, saying the Sean Smith version of it here. It's not like you can make God's name any more holy in and of itself. God's name is holy. It's it's holy all on its own. But I pray in this petition that it may be kept holy among me, uh, among us also, in my life also. And and that's really, and that's repeated again and again with each petition throughout the Lord's Prayer. And, and is the petition that we pray in living loving lives, fulfilling the law lives is that we pray. It is what it is. Your law is true. You created the world to work a certain way and I can fight against that all I want, but it is what it is. And so my prayer is that your Holy spirit who does dwell in me by my baptism would guide me in keeping it also. Teaching you not to grow oranges on an apple tree. You listen to Concord matters on worldwide KFU. We'll be back in just a minute. The Consortium for Classical Lutheran Education invites you to attend our Reformation Summer Conference July 11 through 13, 2017 in Cheyenne, Wyoming, focused on truth and education. Speakers include the Reverend Rolf Preuss, Dr. Angus Manuge, and Dr. Thomas Korchak. Enjoy this year's unique banquet experience at a Wyoming bison ranch. Visit ccle.org for more speakers and information. That's ccle.org. In Exodus 32's famous golden calf account, why does Aaron tell the Israelites that the idol is Yahweh, the true God? We'll find out live Tuesday on Issues Etc. from Pastor Tom Baker. We'll also talk with Joy Pullman about a public college shutting down after student outrage over a professor's objection to racial segregation. Issues Etc. live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. I'm Kip Allen, host of Let's Talk, The Pastor Is In. Friday's guest is Andrew Preuss of St. Paul's Lutheran Church and Trinity Lutheran Church in Iowa. Pastor Preuss and I are going to have a casual chat, and we'd love to have you join us on the front porch. Call us at 314-821-0850 in the St. Louis area or 800-730-2727 anywhere in North America. Let's Talk, Friday at 2 p.m. Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. Hi, I'm Mary Schmidt, Manager of Development for Worldwide KFUO. And I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, Donor Care Specialist for the station. We want to tell you how happy we are that you're listening and being blessed by the excellent programs aired daily on Worldwide KFUO. If you would like to become a day sponsor or simply give a gift to our listener-supported ministry, call me, Mary Schmidt, at 314-996-1518. Or call me, Mark Hawkinson, at 314-996-1520. Thanks Thanks in in advance advance for for your your partnership. My fellow Americans, last night when I spoke with you... On June 5th, 1944, President Franklin D. Roosevelt announced on the radio that Allied troops had entered Rome. News overshadowed by the announcement of the D-Day invasion at 6.30 a.m. on June 6th. That evening, President Roosevelt read a prayer to the nation as American, British, and Canadian troops took beachheads on the coast of Normandy. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, 
this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion. Thy will be done, almighty God. Amen. Bibles handed out to troops included this inscription from Roosevelt. As Commander-in-Chief, I take pleasure in commending the reading of the Bible to all who serve in the armed forces of the United States. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to Concord Matters, where, again, if you got your fruit to check, you're going to need some alternative fruit for your fruit checking because it's going to turn out not the way you like it unless you're looking at the fruit of our Lord Jesus Christ, in which case you're going to be confirmed, affirmed, and established in the faith. And wonder of wonders, the miracle of regeneration will take place. And believe it or not, you'll probably be doing more good works than you even realize. And on the last day, you can be like, when did I do that? And Jesus is going to be saying, well, I, I helped you do it. Don't worry about it. Enter into my kingdom. We're going to continue kind of riffing on now this large section that uh, Peter Slayton read. Uh, by the way, uh, my guest today, uh, normal host, minus one, no angelic. Peter Ill, his dogmatic assertions are, are not with us, but he's uh, he's doing the good work of justifying someone by preaching to them as they face uh, face the the end. It would seem, and um, so in studio, uh, the unanswerable Sean Smith and the subtle Peter Slayton. This section that Peter Slayton read for us uh, out of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, paragraph forty six, this catalog of of <laughs> accusations, which he, he leads off though by this statement, which is what I want to pick up now again. He, he says that the law always accuses us. Then he begins to use the law in such a way so as to really evidently do that. That the law always accuses. This is a pretty famous theological phrase. If you're in any way a, a, theolo a theology nerd, a, a Bible geek in the Lutheran Church, Missouri, sent him, and. Bible geeks in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod always are into the Latin, because the Latin is pretty cool sounding. And Lex Semper Accusat is the way that that's said. And what I want to ask both of you fellows here, because I know this theology has affected you in one way or the other, but then to take a moment and to think about that phrase, Lex Semper Accusat, and is there a time, is there a place, can you tell me about a time when that phrase hit you for the first time? hit you as more real or really kind of demonstrated itself to you? Kind of a story that, that illustrates Lex Semper Accusat. I think, I don't know if it ever really hit me as when I heard it, it was just one of those, oh, yeah, okay. It, 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 but it's one of those things that grows, the impact of it, at least for me, has grown more and more and more when I realize, oh, yeah, it really, it really does. Um, generally around the times when I'm trying to like find some way to justify myself, and then it comes back and says, nope, still not good enough. Nope, you're still not good enough. So I don't know if I have any stories to go with that yet. I'll try and think of one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't... I can give I, you I one while you think about it if you want. Yeah, I, I don't know a specific story, but I, I will throw this out there that that at least the things that I generally beat myself up about continually. And, mm -hmm. and we commonly hear this. I don't know. I've said this myself, you know, it's, it's like, Oh yes, I know that the Lord forgives me, but I don't know if I can forgive myself, you know, or something to that effect. Right. You know, something that really weighs heavy on me. It's generally the work of the law continually accusing me. And it does well to be pointed back to no Christ has forgiven you. It's already done. It happened over 2000 years ago. Um, there's nothing you can do that can add or subtract from that. So believe it, trust it. And, um, and, and I have found that through faithful pastoral ministry to me, hmm. that's the only way that I can get over these things that I can't forgive myself. 
before yeah. That, yeah. that I continually feel beat up about. One of the, the images that sticks out for me with that phrase goes back to my vicarage days when I was at a pastor's conference and they had Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of Concordia Irvine, I believe he's now retired, uh, speaking there. And he was using a, a picture, which I, I might have stolen this one in, in Broken. It may even be in Broken. It, it, using a picture to describe the law as a, a man who's in a wrestling match with you. He might have stolen this from Luther, for Pete's sake. They, a man in a wrestling match with you who's trying to like bite your throat and rip your throat out with his teeth. And that the, the Ten Commandments in their fullness, as Melanchthon shows in his example here, is actually going to win. <laughs> it's just going to nail you down and tear your throat out by the jugular. You're going to be bleeding on the floor. But what we tend to do then is we, we want to defang the law. So instead of wrestling a, a super macho WWE, you know, uh, ultimate fighting champion or something, instead of we end up wrestling a version of the law that's more of a, a toothless old man, and yet he's not going to stop. And so you're still going to die. You're still going to have your juggler ripped out. It's just going to be, he's going to gum you to death, basically. Now, maybe that image doesn't quite get it, but it, there was a, it reminds me of a, a one of the many Robin Hood movies where the, the sheriff of nine says, I'm going to cut his heart out with a spoon. Why, go, a, spoon, why a spoon, Prince? Uh, it all hurts. Because it's dull, you twit. It'll hurt more. Exactly. So, so that's that's the idea there. And so Lex Semper Akusat, when it's at his most venomous to me, is not when it's the Ten Commandments taught in its purity. It's when it's this kind of, pretend law that you think oh i can keep that and it just you just never realize that's why your conscience is getting dragged down all the time now that reminds me of one of my earlier attempts when i really had first become lutheran uh discussing long gospel with family members and there was a there was a point where i, was, I actually used this phrase it was i don't remember if it was brand new to me or if it was just you know something i was ruminating on but talking about the law always accusing and i got uh, significant pushback from family members, you know, hmm. a little bit of anger um, that didn't like this. And it wasn't until later that I realized the the pushback, you know, because I was trying to distinguish, you know, the law always accuses, but here's the gospel that gives you the comfort and here's the promise because you can't ever do enough. You can't ever be good enough. But part of that American evangelicalism, the once you're saved, the life of a Christian becomes all about obedience. Mm -hmm. And if the law always accuses you, you can never actually be obedient. And so the entire point of the Christian life then becomes futile. And so I, ha I didn't realize at the time, but in a sense, I was undermining th this family member's very idea of what Christianity was about for them because they had been saved now it's about obedience. And I've just come along and said, you can never actually be obedient, right. which I had said. I mean, right. yes, you, you never actually can. And so then it's like, well, what is the Christian life about then? And because there, there wasn't a paradigm that allowed for it to be about anything other than obedience, the, the result ended up being anger. And we just had to stop discussing, discussing it entirely because we couldn't get anywhere. This might be off the wall, um, but bear with me. It can't top. Oranges on an apple tree, <laughs> which is all your fault. Yeah. It's not Peter's fault. Yeah, yeah you fault. just served that one right up there. This could yeah. be equally derailing. But uh, uh, we were talking in the break. You know, I, I obviously I won't be here next week and and for a while and, until obviously I'm getting Obvious married. Yeah, yeah, there we you know go. Why. I'm, I'm getting there. Hey. I'm getting married uh, um, in in a couple weeks, and I'm heading out to Wyoming for that. Uh, so I won't be here next week. But so I got marriage on the mind and. 
the vows that I'm going to be taking. They're very serious vows. And, and both of you in this studio have taken those vows. And I mean, you, you talk about obedience, you know, mm-hmm. and, and indeed the Christian life is one of obedience to the law, Yeah, but we participate in it weekly. I mean, d- did you guys stand there on your wedding days and like, in the back of your minds, like, I know I'm saying these vows. I know I say I will, but you know, I'm don't not, really plan I'm not, on it. I don't really plan on doing it perfectly. I mean, or, or maybe you guys have kept your vows perfectly, in which case yeah, you no. would be record setters. Um, I mean, you know, and, 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 or, you know, ties in with anything, you know, we, a lot of congregations had confirmation this uh, past Sunday with Pentecost. Mm. Uh, you take very serious vows there that suffer all even death rather than fall away from this faith. But I mean, I would fall away for a Klondike bar, honestly. I mean, just... <laughs> it's a really good Klondike yeah, I mean, bar. Yeah, I mean, what, what wouldn't you do for yeah, a Klondike bar? Yeah, I know, right? But, uh, <laughs> and we're advertising and now. And now we're but, a commercial. Uh, Are we going to uh, get you know, re, uh, income for that? Yeah, yeah or, or, you know, for Pastor Fisk and I, as we took ordination vows and things mm-hmm. like that. I mean, and, and I failed in those. I mean, I, I intended to keep them, but yet... I, I'm not perfectly obedient to him. And there's always, I mean, lest the law doesn't accuse me, there's always the devil there that will accuse me because he's been an accuser and a liar since the beginning. Jesus himself points that out. And he'll jump in there and say, well, you know, you said that you would, mm. you know, love and sickness and health. You know that you said you would suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from the faith, but you're constantly skipping church for soccer or something else. You know, I mean, he's going to he's gonna point out to my, my failure to it, and it probably serves me well, as we talked about before the break, um, to, to run down and, and be aware of my sin and to confess it and, and be absolved of it in the sure work of Christ, then, then to continue to beat myself up about it because... Or even fool myself and think that I'm okay because if I if I'm fooling myself, the devil's going to jump right in and point mm. out my failure to me, and I've got and a real crisis. Actually, be right. Absolutely, that's that's a scary yeah. thing. Is yeah. no, yeah, I'm being accused, and this is actually a right accusation. That's I, hard. I love that that image though of the marriage vow because it demonstrates that knowing I will not perfectly keep the vow does not mean I don't want to. Right. This is sometimes I've heard this said that, well, well, if you can't keep the law, why would you even try to do it since you can't do it perfectly? And that's a faithless statement. Of course, I want to keep the law and my knowledge that I will be imperfect at it by no means makes me not kind of go into it half heartedly. Rather, just like marriage. And thankfully, I was taught this before I got married. I got to be under grace. I got to know she's going to break the vow. I got to know I'm going to break the vow, but we're going to keep talking to each other and we're going to reconcile, right? We're going to, we're going to come back. And because we are both covered by the blood of Christ, we will cover each other. And this is actually the best part of really the ultimate vow for the husband. It's like, you're, you're vowing to do that, right? That's uh, wash her with water in the word as, as Christ does to the church and all that out of Ephesians five and, and so forth. So, um, good. Hey, well, and, and you're pointing to the fact that ultimately, and, and one of the reasons I use that image is because, as Ephesians 5 points out, this is ultimately a reflection of Christ and his bride, the church. And and so we're talking about living the Christian life. Well, we, we, we have to find our comfort there in Christ, our heavenly bridegroom, who covers us perfectly and has satisfied all and has loved us perfectly and we're going to respond to that mm. in loving ways. Mm. It, it's just what yeah, happens. Love begets love. Yeah, uh, Peter, you you had talked about 
Oh, did I lose? Oh, the, the response of your of your family, extended family, to Lex Tempera Acusat as an idea, and it reminds me that I I'm, I've heard this said in the Missouri Senate, and it's not wrong. It's right, but sometimes I'm asking, why are we so you know incensed about saying this? You'll hear someone say, "Yes, the law always accuses," but and they whenever someone says something, but. <laughs> It means you really kind of don't believe it in a weird way. You're you know, trying but, to excuse it. Yeah. Uh, the law always accuses, but the law never only accuses or doesn't only accuse. And that's technically quite true. Mm-hmm. Uh, both, first off, before the fall and in paradise, the law will still be there and will not accuse at all. Uh, because it is God's will yeah, for right. our life. That is a good thing. Yeah. And now, yeah. as well, it does encourage us and show us the way we should go. So I got no problem with the statement, but I, I got to wonder, like, why, why the haste? to undo Lex Emperor Kuzo, when to me, this is the doorway to the gospel. Like, you don't take this away from me, right? This is where I get to lie dead on the ground and let Jesus raise me from the dead. Why would you take that away? So uh, you don't have to necessarily respond to that, but that's kind of my closing thought on... Well, I love that we're going to go right into Romans 7 now. Mm-hmm. To line 47 as we go in, because that's we're talking about that very right. struggle, and that's, right. that's exactly where the apology goes with it. Okay. Well, Paul says, paragraph 47... For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Romans seven nineteen. Likewise, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. I, I think we've really got to take both of those things uh, in their own piece, because biblically or scripturally speaking, they are... They both have problems with them, and I'm, I don't think there's problems, but you, you can run into problems. One is that that first phrase, Romans seven nineteen, the good I do not... I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want. That is what I keep on doing. Um, you can run into someone who real quickly says, oh, yeah, yeah, but that, that was Paul before he was converted. He's just explaining what the sinner's life is like. That's pretty common in certain corners of Protestantism. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's quite clear that he's writing this as St. Paul, not St. Saul. So, well, well, I mean, <laughs> let's just put the, you know, let's not knock over the straw man, though. Like, so they're saying right. he's going in some, into kind of storytelling mode and going back to remember what it was like before he then describes what the life of the Christian is like. Well, usually the reason that they're making a move like that isn't necessarily because of the text. It's because they likely have a theology that requires some sort of progression, perfectionism, something of that nature. And so that that often has to be brought back into a text like this because you can't have... Christian perfectionism, which is the, the technical term, if if you are still doing evil, even though you don't want to do it, if if you are progressing in your sanctification towards perhaps total sanctification, depending on your Christian tradition, um, Paul has to be talking about something else hmm. here, or talking as past tense, or or you know storytelling the past thing, because you you have. A theology that requires that of him. You can't allow for that to be part of it. So in attempting to avoid a straw man, I think that's, it's not that it's this verse that's the problem. It's that there are other things being brought to this text that that are actually the real problem. Uh, Dr. Norman Nagel of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis uh, was fond of saying, reading the Bible is like having a bunch of boxes and some trading cards. And you're putting your trading cards in boxes based on their categories. So, that, oh, we got the Cardinals over here. Oh, we got the Cubs over here. Pitchers over here. You know, however you want, you would say separate your cards. So, what happens when you you find a card that doesn't have a box? You don't know where to put it. And well, you can realize that you're missing a box. That'd be the faithful thing to do. Or you can get rid of the card. And the habit 
that leads to false teaching always is you get rid of the card, right? So what do you do with this text or any text that doesn't seem to fit your system? And it's important that we don't say that, I mean, maybe the context right before or after the verse completely changes the the meaning of the verse. So there's something important about that as well. But I still, I, I remember reading Luther on this and he just blew my mind. He said, well, right there, the verse all by itself explains itself because if you're talking about an unbeliever, then he would not want to do the good. He would want to do the evil. Mm-hmm. So you're you're just that's insane. Only and be the, completely fine with it. Yeah, exactly. And want the world even, to celebrate it and wouldn't see it as, as evil. It's just this is what I do. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I mean, uh, you know, when I first read this, I was like, oh yeah, look at that. He just goes. <laughs> the, the argument doesn't make any sense in the first place. It's an absurd argument. I saw you went to scripture. You want to jump yeah, in more? Well, on that, I mean, though? if you if you take the context of the whole book of Romans, number one, but even just of chapter seven here. I mean, he begins chapter seven with, or do you not know brothers? Hmm. All right. So yeah. he's speaking yeah. to brothers in the Christian church. And by the way, it's written to the Christians in Rome, right. the, the book of Romans. But he says, or do you not know brothers? For I am speaking to those who know the law. Well, how do they know the law? Right. Hmm. Well, clearly because they've been brought in right. with the eyes of faith. faith right. Yeah. And, uh, and then later on, uh, verse seven uh, or uh, verse four, he says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. I mean, he's, he's once again pointing to the same sort of relationship again. And he's saying, you know, you, you're to bear this fruit. And, and this is picking up from earlier in Romans 2, where he says very clearly right at the beginning, we are created to serve to the glory of God. That that was by the very nature in mm-hmm. sin. Uh, this is ruined, and, and we desire to to bear this fruit to some level. Um, but the good, the good fruit that I know I should, that's not what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing oranges on an apple tree. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, <laughs> rotten oranges. Or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, rotten those oranges. aren't going to yeah. taste any good. So verse 25, then uh, I think it's got a totally different kind of challenge. It's just now he's using language. Not in a, he's not using Lutheran dogmatic jargon. Gosh darn it! He's he's making up new jar, jargon, and so how on earth are we going to to figure this out? And I think I just said gosh darn it, so I apologize for that. Um, the uh, you're forgiven. <laughs> we you. practice absolution here. <laughs> I, I was speaking in the person of the very angry, you know, unbeliever. So well, anyway. you've just been justified. <laughs> Thank you. Just rejoicing. I've applied the no, justification of Christ to you. Tried to or is he, or is he doing the article himself? I don't yeah. know. This I did. Go both ways. I tried to. Yeah. You yeah. tried to yeah. justify oh, yourself. Forget gracious. it. Christ died for this Thank sin you. too. We are our own object lessons today. Oh, I didn't know I'd be getting public, private confession, absolution <laughs> on the air. Oh my well, goodness. it was public sin, which desires public rebuke. Yeah, and public you know, there it is. Yeah. So he he. He doesn't use our jargon. So he says, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, which he'll later come back and call the law of the mind. And we got to understand, he's that's the gospel right there. That's not a law, right? He means by law here, he doesn't mean something you're supposed to do. He means something that does not change, something that's unalterable. I myself serve the gospel with my mind or with my faith, but with my flesh, this is my sinful body. I serve the law of sin, which is not the Ten Commandments either. This is the reality of our original sin. And I'm going to add one more thing and throw it back at you here. Here he openly declares that he serves the law of sin. Um, it, the other thing is, I've, I've even heard that argument that these passages are not about St. Paul and the faith, but about him before he became a Christian from people in, in Lutheran circles. And what I find interesting about that is like, well, our confessions seem to, 
to use the text this way, right? So are we going to, do we go to the confessions looking to be taught or do we go to the confessions looking to undo them? And and there are places where the confessions do use a, a, a scripture verse that may or may not be as the best verse chosen for that particular thing. But to get rid of this, to get rid of this at this point in the confessions, to turn your back on Romans 7 and what it means seems a, a very trepidatious kind of action to take. Anyway, thoughts on that? Well, it just serves a natural conclusion to what we readily realize. I mean, especially as we're running down those questions that he immediately had before this, as we talked about earlier. I mean, if if I'm just going to be honest, I have to talk about this in my Christian life. I am a Christian. I have been baptized. I mm. do believe. I, I trust in Christ as my Savior on that last day. Um, and, and yet, when I'm honest, I fail to keep the law, and I serve the law of sin constantly. I don't want to, but that's that's honestly mm-hmm. what I do. Yeah, if no. we're gonna if we're gonna give an example right here in the confessions of what that looks like, we can just go back to those questions in in 46. And so we say, what does it mean that Paul openly serves the law of sin, or that I serve the law of sin? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't love or fear God enough. I don't have enough patience to bear the troubles brought by God. I don't. I do frequently doubt whether human affairs are ruled by God's counsel. You Mm -hmm. you just go through that list and say, I do these things. That's what it means for me to serve the law of sin is, yeah, I fail in these areas. I do these things. This is me. When Paul talks about what he does, that's also me. Uh, I don't, you know, it, it may or may not be a good thing to argue from experience, but at the same time, you look at this and say, yeah, that's my life mm-hmm. right there as a Christian. Mm-hmm. That's my experience. I, I was just thinking, as you uh, said, who does not frequently doubt whether human affairs are ruled by God's counsel or by chance? Either I have a lot of Facebook friends who have listed that they're Christian and they're not really Christian um, because they're really worried about politics and things, <laughs> or or this is true and that it's a yeah. part of the Christian life that we still stumble. And yeah. <laughs> the bit about who who loves or fears God enough, I think, is just uh, pretty pretty spot on right there. Or who who does not doubt whether he is heard by God? You know, the danger with false teaching when it's pretending to be Christianity and pointing to the law is it tries to convince you that you you can answer these questions. And that one about prayer, I feel like I've even been in a situation where someone, where I've been talking about prayer and, and the struggle of the Christian life in prayer and how, how prayers don't always get answered, at least not the way that we want them to. But I was just reading in the Psalms today, prepping for tomorrow's oratio, um, the, the early part of his time, where uh, God is turning a deaf ear to the prayer. He actually hated the prayer, right? And that kind of language can really be offensive to, to the, the pietism, if I can call it that, that wants to assert, oh, no, I, I'm totally confident. I know God hears my prayer. Oh, yeah, no, I, I love God with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind. Um, that, that, that brittle, hardened wall is a catastrophe waiting to happen. I don't know. It's, not the it's a false confidence that will not serve them well, as we've seen again and again, especially as pastors. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we hear that false confidence. Oh, yeah, I know that. But but then when things start to fall apart and life really hits them hard, maybe they get cancer, multiple health issues at a time and things like that. And then all of a sudden they're not so cer- certain, right? And it's mm-hmm. like, well, I thought you said you were certain, right? And and doubting is a part of that 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 struggle in my sin. 
as well. But, you know, there's a great, you know, you talked about who does not frequently doubt whether he is heard by God. It reminds me of kind of the drive-by line almost that, that Jesus uses when he teaches the disciples. You know, these whom he's going to make into apostles build the, the church upon the foundation of their teaching and ministry. Um, when he's teaching them the Lord's Prayer, one of the Gospels records for us that um, he, he teaches them, if you who are evil know how to give yeah. good gifts and to your children. It is a line, but it's so yeah. important. Yeah, I mean, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father know them and, and satisfy them? I mean, it, it's it's he just called the disciples evil. evil. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I always assumed disciples. that he was yeah. talking to the Pharisees at that point. I hadn't really thought yeah. about... He's teaching oh, his no, disciples. Who disciples. Say, yeah, his disciples wow. say, Lord, teach us to pray like John the Baptist taught his disciples. Yeah. To pray. You know, and, and so yeah, it's... I, I glossed over for a long time and then it jumped out of me. I think I was in college at the time and I was just like, wow. Yeah. But, I mean, and, and as we too are disciples, uh, mm. you know, and, and uh, yeah. So this is very clearly uh, that evil intent of my heart still yet remains as I am, I am a saint in God, yet simultaneously fully a sinner as well. Some of the power in that, in that throwiness of the line, though, is how nonchalantly Jesus treats it. It's like, well, mm-hmm. if you, who obviously are evil and duh, I mean, everyone knows this, right? Right? (laughs) But God is not. Isn't he going to do better than you for his sons? And that's what he's called you now. Makes you wonder if they even heard what he said after that because they got so fixed. (laughs) Wait, we're evil? What? Oh, hold on. Yeah. No, yeah, but this... it's like the old struggle of a pastor's sermon. You know, it's like they, they, they want to hang on that law too much. And it's like, well, did you hear the rest of my sermon? Because I totally saved you with the gospel. Today. Yeah, right, right, right. 30 seconds here, guys. Well, it brings me back at the very beginning. I was trying to remember the phrase from the small catechism, but it's we should fear, love, and trust. And once again, we're pointing out that it trust is the thing here. It's not my works that I trust. It's not my experience, as I just mentioned, that I trust. It's not even my own knowledge, my own understanding that I trust. It's God himself, as he has revealed himself to me in Christ, that I trust. And we've just been circling around that the whole time. And that that is the thing. That's what, that's what it's all about, is that trust. Is the article on which the church stands or falls well confessed by the subtle Peter Slayton, social media manager of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and also you've heard it taught this hour by the unanswerable Sean Smith, who proved himself, Pastor Sean Smith, to be unanswerable after all. St. Paul's Winehill and Emmanuel West Point are blessed to have him preach for them every single week, except the next three weeks when he's getting married. So yeah. uh, fill up his Twitter feed and Facebook with a bunch of jeers and cheers to make him feel good. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. This is Concord Matters, where we seek to be of one mind in Christ because the gospel is so sweet. We'll catch you guys next week. Rock on.